What's up everybody, GenX Dividend Investor here. If you're new to my channel, then welcome. In this video, I show you what the best consumer staples dividend stocks are, and I'll share what prices I'd buy them at, along with the prices analysts have them at, as a way to help you identify some potentially cheap stocks in today's hot market. And rather than doing a rigorous analysis of revenue and profit and debt trends and such, like I recommend you should do, I'll instead just consolidate this down into a few key metrics. As always, just consider this entertainment and not financial advice, and please hit the thumbs up button, subscribe if you haven't yet, and click that bell notification. Finally, generally speaking, I'm just going to show you dividend stocks with at least 15 consecutive years of dividend increases, i.e. those that made it through the 2008 banking crash without cutting their dividend. Okay, for reference, the stock sectors are energy, materials, industrials, consumer discretionary, consumer stables, which people sometimes say is consumer defensive, healthcare, financials, information technology, communication services, utilities, and real estate. Let's look at how the consumer staple sector as a whole has been doing in the last five years compared to other sectors into the S&P 500. We see that the S&P 500 has returned about 104%, whereas the consumer staple sector has been underperforming, returning about 31% over the same time frame. The best sector has been tech at 233%. Energy has been the lowest at minus 19%, but has been doing well lately, and if the vaccines keep working, it's plausible to think that trend might continue. So what are the other industries in the consumer staple segment? Well, the Global Industry Classification Standards Taxonomy shows us that the three main categories of companies are number one, food and staples retailing, number two, food, beverage, and tobacco, and number three, household and personal products. And then those are broken out into sub-industries, which I'll be focused on in this video. If you want to invest in the consumer staple sector as a whole, you could consider ticker XLP, which is the Consumer Staple Select Sector Spider Fund. Or if you're a Vanguard fan, you could consider VDC, the Vanguard Consumer Staples Index Fund ETF. And for reference, consumer staples represents about 6% of the S&P 500. Using Dividend Channel's Total Return Strip Calculator, we see that if you invested about 22 years ago when XLP was formed, then you would have seen a 6.7% annualized return, which slightly underperforms SPY's 7.6%. As I go through these stocks, I'm going to share my estimate for fair value for these companies based on prior trends along with future growth estimates. Here's a picture I made to show you my perspective on how stock prices and their intrinsic values often work. Usually what you see is that as earnings go up, then stock prices go up. The purplish blue line represents the intrinsic value of a company, which in this case I'll call my target price, a price which changes over time based on earnings and such, and which tends to act like gravity or a magnet trying to pull the black line, which is the stock price at a point in time, towards it. Stock prices in the short term are overly influenced by news headlines and market events and ultimately people's emotions. Thus, they can easily break the pull of the purple line and go wherever, but over time stock prices tend to eventually trend towards the real intrinsic value of a company. In this example, you can see an intrinsic value estimation of a random company, which goes up and down as time goes on, but is slowly trending up, like most quality companies tend to do over long periods of time. The ideal time to buy a stock is when it's underpriced, which is represented as areas of red where the stock price fluctuates under its intrinsic value price. Now, if your strategy is to buy and hold for generations, then buying a stock at any price can work out, it's just that your returns will be less than if you buy when something's on sale, and it can take materially longer for you to get a good return if you just invest whenever. Similarly, the best time to sell a stock is when it's overpriced, which is generally any period on this graph along the areas of green, because those are all times when the stock price is higher than the intrinsic value. This example chart could represent 20 years of stock prices, so you need to understand that something could be underpriced for years or overpriced for years, but in my experience stocks eventually tend to drive towards their real intrinsic values, which you can calculate with discounted cash flow calculations and which I found useful to estimate using price to earning trends. 
So let's kick this off with the agricultural products industry, where the only consumer staple stock I found worth mentioning was Archer Daniels Midland. My fair value one year target price for ADM is $65, which is about 7% higher than it is today, as compared to analysts who predict they'll be at $70, which is about 15% higher than today. The analyst price is the average or median price of what a bunch of professional stock valuators forecast the stock price will be at one year from today. My price is what I think the stock is actually worth a year from now, which is not the same thing as saying what I think the stock will be at 12 months from today. You should always second guess me and research things on your own, especially when my estimates are far off from what professionals forecast. ADM has a low 2.43% yield, a mediocre 4% dividend CAGR, a great 39% payout ratio, and an incredible 47 consecutive years of dividend increases. In the last 5 years, ADM has had a 10.45% annualized return, which is decent but lags the S&P 500's amazing 17-ish percent return in the same time frame, assuming dividends are reinvested. And in the last 25 years, ADM has had a solid 8.27% annualized return, which is just a bit under S&P 500's 9.5-ish percent return over the same period. This company wasn't one of the top 10 most popular consumer staple stocks on my dividend discord poll that I ran. ADM recently has had some awesome earnings as the pandemic falls behind them, and I think they're in an excellent spot in the agricultural space, as food is an incredible staple that people always will need, and beyond that it's good to know that China often has huge demand for crops like corn, and ADM is the world's largest corn processor. Now let's move to distillers and vintners, where the only consumer staple stock I found worth mentioning was Brown Foreman Class B. My fair value one-year target price for BF.B is $45, which is about 38% lower than it is today, as compared to analysts who predict they'll be at $69, which is about 5% lower than it is today. So we both feel it's overvalued, though I'm more bearish than they are. That doesn't mean they aren't a great company, it just means that some of us think it's too pricey right now. BF.B is a very low 0.98% yield, a decent 6% dividend CAGR, a nice 44% payout ratio, and an awesome 37 consecutive years of dividend increases. In the last 5 years it has had a 15% annualized return, and in the last 25 years it has had a strong 10.27% annualized return. Brown Foreman happens to own a favorite whiskey brand of a lot of folks, and I'm talking about Jack Daniels, which commands over 20% of the US whiskey market. I'll take a shot, thank you very much. Now let's move to drug retailers, where the only consumer staple stock I found worth mentioning was Walgreens Boots Alliance. My fair value one-year target price for WBA is $70, which is about 37% higher than it is today, as compared to analysts who predict they'll be at $56, which is about 10% higher than it is today. However, WBA has some real risks and a long record of underperformance, so make sure you research things before you consider jumping in. When I did my cheap dividend stocks to buy now on June 9th, the median analyst price for WBA was about $54, so they have already raised their target by $2 in less than two weeks, bringing their estimate closer to mine. WBA has a decent 3.66% yield, a good 6.9% dividend CAGR, a great 38% payout ratio, and an incredible 46 consecutive years of dividend increases. In the last 5 years it has had a crappy minus 5.48% annualized return, and in the last 25 years it has had a very weak 1.44% annualized return. So WBA does not have a good stock track record at all. Another issue I have with Walgreens Boots Alliance is wondering how they will compete with Amazon coming somewhat into their space. Another concern I have is that their margins have been getting worse, and they have quite a bit of debt. Thus, I'd look at WBA as a riskier turnaround play. Now let's move to food distributors, where the only consumer staple stock I found worth mentioning was Cisco. My fair value one-year target price for Cisco is $70, which is about 6% lower than it is today, as compared to analysts who predict they'll be at $89, which is about 19% higher than it is today. 
SYY has a low 2.52% yield, a nice 8.1% dividend CAGR, a payout ratio which seems to be over 100% seemingly due to the pandemic, and a kingly 50 consecutive years of dividend increases. In the last 5 years it has had a 11.53% annualized return, and in the last 25 years it has had a great 11.75% annualized return. They are the largest food distributor in the US and they operate worldwide, and they were impacted by the pandemic as they delivered to restaurants and hotels and schools and such. They could also be impacted by inflation. Now let's move to food retail, where the only consumer staple stock I found worth mentioning was Kroger. My fair value one-year target price for Kroger is $45, which is about 16% higher than it is today, as compared to analysts who predict they'll be at $37, which is about 4.5% lower than it is today. Kroger has done well with their earnings, and thus I think it's just a matter of time for the stock to respond. Kroger has a low 1.86% yield, a great 11.4% dividend CAGR, an awesome 25% payout ratio, and a decent 15 consecutive years of dividend increases. In the last 5 years it has had a poor 3.25% annualized return, and in the last 25 years it has had a nice 9.73% annualized return. Kroger is the largest conventional grocer in the US by sales. A key concern I have is that they are competing with Amazon now, and the whole grocery space is highly competitive, though Kroger seems to be doing well with their decent balance sheet along with margins that have been slowly improving. A good portion of their money comes from being a gasoline retailer, which means they have some dependency on gasoline margins, which itself has some long-term risk implications. But they have some potential options to continue to diversify their income streams, so their future looks tasty. See what I did there? I made a pun about a food company. Now I'm really cooking. Nice, two puns in a row. Okay, let's move to packaged foods and meats, where we have a bunch of valuable consumer staples companies. The most interesting plays I found were Hormel, Tootsie Roll, McCormick & Co., J.M. Smucker, Kellogg's, Lancaster Colony, and General Mills. General Mills didn't meet my normal bar for at least 15 consecutive years of dividend increases, but it along with Hormel tied for 10th in the voting, so I included it, and we'll just focus on those two stocks in this next section, but feel free to screenshot this and look at the metrics to see if any of these look interesting to you. My fair value one-year target price for Hormel is $38, which is about 21% lower than it is today, as compared to analysts who predict they'll be at $46, which is about 3% lower than it is today. Hormel has a low 2.07% yield, a great 11.5% dividend CAGR, a nice 57% payout ratio, and an amazing 57 consecutive years of dividend increases. In the last 5 years Hormel has had an 8.66% annualized return, and in the last 25 years it has had an incredible 13.33% annualized return. One potential concern to be aware of is that we may see a very slow decline in meat consumption as time goes on, though it isn't a material concern to me right now. Overall sales are somewhat lackluster at Hormel, and some of their metrics, like return on equity, have been trending in the wrong direction. But it looks like they are progressing nicely into the snack space, with their intent to acquire the planter's snack business from Kraft Heinz. Now on to General Mills. My fair value one year target price for GIS is about $65, which is almost 9% higher than it is today, as compared to analysts who predict they'll be at $64, which is about 7% higher than it is today. So both of us like it. General Mills has a nice 3.41% yield, a weak 2% dividend CAGR, a nice 50% payout ratio, but apparently only one consecutive years of dividend increases according to Seeking Alpha. In the last 5 years it has had a weak 2.52% annualized return, and in the last 25 years it has had a decent 8.88% annualized return. GIS margins aren't that great as compared to their peers. They have been pushing into the pet segment with their acquisition of Blue Buffalo recently, and Tyson Foods just announced that they are selling their pet treats business to General Mills for a cool $1.2 billion so hopefully they can keep managing their debt. Side note, they have some incredible brands that my family loves like Haagen-Dazs and Annie's Mac and Cheese. 
Okay, let's move to personal products, where Unilever was the main consumer staples company so I'm going to call out. My fair value one-year target price for Unilever is $55, which is about 7.5% higher than it is today, as compared to analysts who predict they'll be at $68, which is about 14% higher than it is today. Unilever has a nice 3.47% yield, a low 2% dividend CAGR, a 69% payout ratio, and a unique number for consecutive dividend increases. It looks like Unilever's dividend payout is in its native currency, which is in British pound sterling, and even though they've been increasing their dividend for 38 consecutive years, my understanding is that due to changing currency conversions, the dollar equivalent shows a payout that hasn't been increasing every year. So if you held Unilever as an ADR, then even though Unilever the company increased their dividend every year, it still turns out that through no fault of theirs, the US equivalent payout didn't increase every year. At least that's what it looks like to me. In the last 5 years, it has had an 8.7% annualized return, and in the last 25 years, it has had a great 10.02% annualized return. Even though they're a UK company, they hold brands you'll know in the US like Ben & Jerry's Ice Cream, Dove Soap, and Degree Antiperspirant. They recently revealed their plan to increase their annual sales of plant-based meat and dairy alternatives, so they are evolving to continually remain relevant and competitive. My daughter will dig that as because lately she's on a no-meat kick. That's okay, I'll eat enough for both of us. Another company you could consider in the personal product space is Estee Lauder, but they didn't hit my bar for a consecutive number of years of dividend increases, so I didn't include them. Now let's move to hypermarkets and supercenters, where there are two great consumer stable stocks that both made the top 10, and those are Costco at 7th most popular in the poll, and Walmart, which was at number 8th. My fair value one-year target price for Costco is $290, which is about 24% lower than it is today, as compared to analysts who predict they'll be at $415, which is about 9% higher than it is today. Remember, I'm telling you what I think it's worth, and analysts are telling you what they think the stock will be at, which are two different things. Costco has a very low 0.83% yield, an awesome 12% dividend CAGR, a great 3% payout ratio, and a solid 17 consecutive years of dividend increases. In the last 5 years, Costco has had an awesome 22.6% annualized return, and in the last 25 years, it has had an incredible 17% annualized return. Costco's management has been doing a great job expanding into e-commerce, though you should be aware that they have low profit margins. My fair value one-year target price for Walmart is $125, which is almost 8% lower than it is today, as compared to analysts who predict they'll be at $163, which is about 20% higher than it is today. Walmart has a very low 1.63% yield, a very low 2% dividend CAGR, a good 50% payout ratio, and an amazing 48 consecutive years of dividend increases. In the last 5 years, Walmart has had a 16.2% annualized return, and in the last 25 years, it has had a great 11.9% annualized return. I would love to see Walmart return more back to shareholders via share repurchases, but I can understand why management is currently focused on e-commerce and productivity. Bottom line, I love both Costco and Walmart, but I feel they're both overpriced right now. That being said, it wouldn't surprise me to see both stocks continue to rise like professionals estimate they will in the next 12 months, though over the long run the gravity of intrinsic value will pull them in. Okay, let's move on to household products, where there are multiple awesome consumer staple stocks I'll share, three of which made the voting in the top 10, so I'll just call those out, but I honestly like all five of these guys. I think the voting in my polls gets overly biased based on my dividend portfolio, thus make sure you always factor that into things. Anyways, now I'll go over Procter & Gamble which was number 3 in my poll, Kimberly Clark which is at number 5, and Colgate Palmolive which is at number 6, but I feel that Clorox and Church & Dwight are also great companies. My fair value one year target price for Procter & Gamble is $120, which is about 10% lower than it is today, as compared to analysts who predict they'll be at $148, which is about 10% higher than it is today. I'm long Procter & Gamble. PG has a low 2.62% yield, a relatively low 4% dividend CAGR, a 6% payout ratio, and an amazing 64 consecutive years of dividend increases. 
In the last five years, PG has had a decent 13% annualized return, and in the last 25 years, it has had a very good 10% annualized return. I left Procter & Gamble, though I think it's realistic that its earnings growth will be weak, which could then lead to some underperformance relative to the S&P 500. My fair value one-year target price for Kimberly-Clark is $135, which is about 4% higher than it is today, as compared to the analysts who predict they'll be at $148, which is about 9% higher than it is today. It's hard to find a company of Kimberly-Clark's quality, which both myself and analysts think is a bit underpriced, so that's something to consider if you're looking to invest right now. I'm long KMB. KMB is a decent 3.52% yield, a low 3.5% dividend CAGR, a 63% payout ratio, and an amazing 49 consecutive years of dividend increases. In the last 5 years, KMB has had a weak 2.7% annualized return, and in the last 25 years it has had an underperforming 8.49% annualized return. Now on to Colgate-Palmolive, another I'm long in, where my fair value one-year target price is at $75, which is about 8% lower than it is today, as compared to analysts who predict they'll be at $86, which is about 5% higher than it is today. CL has a low 2.2% yield, a low 3% dividend CAGR, a nice 56% payout ratio, and an amazing 59 consecutive years of dividend increases. In the last 5 years, CL has an underperforming 4.98% annualized return, and in the last 25 years it has had an overperforming 10.78% annualized return. I think all of these consumer staple stocks have some risk in being undercut in prices by Amazon, though brand loyalty should help fight back to some degree. Okay, let's move on to SIN stocks, where I consider Altria, Philip Morris, British American Tobacco, and Universal Corp all to be interesting long-term potential investments, though only Altria made the voting top 10, so I'll just share its metrics. But as you can see in this data I put together, BTI also looks compelling to me at these prices, if you're willing to accept the risks. My fair value one-year target price for MO is $70, which is significantly higher than it is today, as compared to analysts who predict they'll be at $54, which is about 14% higher than it is today. I'm long MO. MO has a great 7.48% yield, an awesome 10.9% dividend CAGR, which has been declining recently, a 78% payout ratio, which is normal for this industry, and an amazing 51 consecutive years of dividend increases. In the last 5 years, MO has had a terrible annualized return, almost breaking even due to its dividend payouts, but in the last 25 years it has had an amazing 14% annualized return. These sorts of stocks have lots of risks associated with them, though the smart companies are evolving their strategies to remain competitive. Now let's go to the final sub-industry, which is soft drinks, which has the top two voted stocks in the poll in Coke at number 2 and Pepsi at number 1, both of which I'm long in, but I'd also call out that Keurig Dr. Pepper is another strong soft drink company that you should consider. My fair value one-year target price for Pepsi is $135, which is 8% lower than it is today, as compared to analysts who will predict they'll be at $155, which is about 6% higher than it is today. Pepsi has a relatively low 2.9% yield, a good 8% dividend CAGR, a 72% payout ratio, and an amazing 49 consecutive years of dividend increases. My fair value one-year target price for Coke is $50, which is 8% lower than it is today, as compared to analysts who predict they'll be at $60, which is almost 10% higher than it is today. Coke has a 3.08% yield, a 4% dividend CAGR, a 90% payout ratio that you should dig into, and an amazing 59 consecutive years of dividend increases. I'll jump into my spreadsheet tool so we can look at Coke and Pepsi side by side, which is often a nice way to get an at-a-glance understanding of some of their financial trends. Okay, here we are. Let me bring up Pepsi and Coke. And it gives you some basic information about them and it kind of compares the two and, and uh, highlights the better side in green. So, for example, here you can see that Coke has a consensus analyst rating of a buy, whereas Pepsi's at a hold. And then if we scroll down, we can see how the stock prices trended. We can see how dividend payouts have trended for both of them. 
and we can see kind of a greater slope here for Pepsi, meaning they raise their dividends a little bit faster. We can see the dividend yield, how it's been trending, and you can see it's relatively flat, so it's not kind of getting more compelling over time, though Pepsi's getting a little bit more compelling over time. And then we can look at the quarterly EPS trends, and Pepsi is raising a little bit faster. And then the shares outstanding, they're both going down. Pepsi is taking shares out a little bit faster. And we can look at both of them, how their assets and liabilities are trending. And we can see their quarterly revenue. Pepsi looks a little bit better. And we can see their net income trends, where again, Pepsi's on a positive path and Coke doesn't look quite as compelling. Price to free cash flow ratios were lower, generally means it's more compelling. And we can see both of their debt trends. So through all this, you can see that I like to share what I consider the fair prices for stocks because I found that, especially for consumer staples, you want to buy when prices are cheaper, else your returns can be impacted. Anyways, please hit the thumbs up button, subscribe if you haven't yet, and click that bell notification. Also, if you'd like to access my portfolio tracker spreadsheet that I just showed you, then sign up as a Patreon aristocrat or king. Speaking of which, I'd like to shout out my newest Patreon aristocrats who have signed up since my last video. So thank you Keo for signing up, and thank you Rotoam Lev. Beyond access to my dividend portfolio tracker, aristocrats also gain special access to various private channels on my dividend discord where I let you watch my videos before I release them to the public, as well as to some other perks like access to a private channel for streaming music, one for playing some games, and they get access to a private voice channel where you can chat with me. If you haven't joined my Dividend Discord, then I highly urge you to drop what you're doing and join. It's free and it's the number one Google result if you type in Dividend Discord or World's Largest Dividend Discord. Thanks for watching, stay positive, and I'll talk to you again real soon. I am not a financial advisor, and these videos are for entertainment, inspiration, and educational purposes only. Investing of any kind involves risk. I am only sharing my opinion with no guarantee of gains or losses on investments.